Good morning is a rich treasure to sing songs of praise with the people of God. And as we continue in our worship this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1169. 1169. I want to begin our time by reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Follow along with me. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Before we Look at this passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity to come and to sing songs of worship to you. Lord, we thank you for Christ's work on the cross, that we have forgiveness in him, that we have been given new life. And Lord, now as we look at this passage, Cause us to live with a heavenly mindset, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to understand this text, and Lord, by your grace and through your spirit, may it change our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, in the 1970s, the U.S. government formerly formally established the Witness Protection Program. The aim of the program was to protect threatened witnesses before, during, and even after their trial. And when an individual enters the Witness Protection Program, they're immediately swept away by U.S. Marshals. They're brought to a new home, and they're given a new identity, and a new status. The witnesses are given a new name. They're given a a new birth date, a new social security number, a, a new driver's license. They're even given a new personal history that they have to now learn. And their responsibility is to memorize that new information even practice how to sign their new name. Thus, these individuals are given a a new status and a new identity, and then they are to act accordingly based on this change. As Christians, Jesus Christ has forever changed our status, our identity before God through Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. 
And as a result of that new status change, as a result of our new identity in Christ, we are commanded to live differently. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, that we were by nature children of wrath. That was our status. That was our identity. But now through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are children of God. And just as those who entered the, the witness protection program must act in a way that reflects their identity change, so must we. Every action of our life is to reflect who we are in Christ. And this truth is seen throughout the book of Colossians. In verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul tells the believers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In chapter 2 in verse 6, Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As Christians, we are to live so that our actions reflect our new identity in Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. In fact, the first time that term Christian is used, it's used in Acts 11.26. And it's used by unbelievers as a disdainful nickname for those who were known as, as Christ's people because they spoke so often of Christ and were followers of his way. There's a lesson here for us. A Christian speaks and acts. So it is apparent even to the unbeliever that they believe in Jesus. Can you say that of your life this morning? Is your life characterized by walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Is there an area of, of our lives that, that we need to ask the Lord for forgiveness? This is a question upon which we must all reflect. Because our lives are to exemplify our new status in Christ. But the question that we then face is, how can we do this? By God's grace, how are we to live lives that give glory to God? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, answers this question. But before we look at this passage, it's important to understand the, the overall theme of the book of Colossians. Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ. And Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 is that bridge that connects the, the doctrinal section of chapters 1 and 2 with the more practical section of chapters 3 and 4. Our text sits in between there. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains that Jesus is supreme over all things. He's supreme over creation, he's supreme over salvation, and he's supreme over the church. And then in 
chapters 3 and 4, Paul shows that the supremacy of Jesus extends even into our personal lives. Not only is Christ Lord over the galaxy, he is Lord over the daily affairs of our work, of our purity, of our relationships. And so in Christ, we have a new identity that comes with a new way of living. And Paul spends chapters 3 and 4 exhorting us to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. But again, the question is, how are we to do that? How can we live lives that exemplify this new life we have in Christ? How can we put to death the sins in chapter 3, verse 5? How can we put on the virtues of chapter 3, verse 12? How are we to put to death impurity and evil desires? Or how can we put on compassionate hearts and humility? Well, Paul tells us here in Colossians 3, we see that we can live a life consistent with our new identity in Christ by living with a heavenly mindset, by fixing our eyes on Christ and relying on his grace. So this morning, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we will see two fundamental principles for the Christian life which ought to compel us to live with a heavenly mindset. And first, in verses 1 and 2, we see the mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. The mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. To compel us towards heavenly living, towards living a life that, that glorifies God, Paul gives us a mandate. Two imperatives which form one command. We're to seek and we are to set our minds on the things above. You could say we are to live with a heavenly mindset. But before we look at these commands, to seek and to set our mind on the things above, Paul provides uh, an opening foundation for this mandate. A foundation for this mandate. Paul says in verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ. Now by saying if, Paul does not mean to suggest that some of his readers have not been raised with Christ. He's writing to believers. Instead, Paul is reminding these believers of their union with Christ. It's what we sang about this morning, that as believers, we are united with Christ. We have shared in his death and his burial and his resurrection. If you look at chapter 2, in verse 12, Paul says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. As those who have put our trust in Jesus, we have been spiritually raised with him. 
And this verse could be translated, since you have been raised with Christ. It is a matter of fact. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. If you think of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul opens by saying we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He says in verse 3, we once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were spiritually dead. But he doesn't leave us there. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We've been given new life. We've been called, according to Ephesians 2.10, to walk in the good works which God has placed before us. See, before you repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus, you were dead in your sins. You were separated from God. You deserved the wrath of God. But now, when God, through the work of his Spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, has given us new life. We've been raised with Christ. And why is this so important? Why does Paul start with this? Because our resurrection with Christ results in new spiritual life. We're given by God a new attitudes and new affections. We're given a new mindset. We're given a new status as believers. And so Paul will go on to say in Ephesians, or in Romans, excuse me, chapter 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus was physically raised from the grave, we have been spiritually raised with Christ. Now, we're to live with a new heavenly mindset as those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, those who have been redeemed by the work of Christ. And so our union with Christ is the foundation for this mandate. Paul says, in order for you to live out verses 1 to 4, in order for these verses to be a help to you, you must have a relationship with Christ. And so if you are here today and you do not know Christ, if you are here today and you have not repented of your sin, if you're here today and you've been trying to earn your salvation and struggling to follow the commands of Scripture, we see here that before we can do that, before we can follow these commands, we must have a relationship with Christ. The prerequisite for obeying verses 1 to 4 is that we must be saved. The good news of the gospel 
is that forgiveness is found in Christ. That salvation is found in Jesus. Scripture says in Romans 10 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to earth. That he lived that sinless life that you and I cannot live and he died the death that we deserve. And if you put your faith in Christ, you will be saved and you too will be united with Christ. And if you're a believer in this room, that is reason alone to praise that we have been united with Christ. That we've been adopted as sons and daughters. And after providing this foundation for living with a heavenly mindset, Paul then here shows us what our focus ought to be. What our focus ought to be. Look at the first part of verse 1. Paul says, seek the things that are above. That word seek, it means to strive for. It means to, to aim at. It means to desire to obtain. Jesus uses this same word in the parable of the lost coin where Jesus tells a story of a woman who lost a coin and immediately she lit a candle and she diligently sought out that coin until she found it. It's a diligent seeking. And we understand what it means to diligently seek for something. Think about the last time you lost your cell phone. Think about the last time you lost your car keys. You start to get nervous and you start to kind of sweat and you're, where did I put it? What do you do? You search your entire house. You rip up every couch cushion. You look under every nook and cranny and it turns out your keys are right where you left them last. We understand diligently searching and that is what Paul is talking about when he says we are to seek and to set our minds on Christ. Paul says in light of sharing in this resurrection with Christ, we are called to seek the things above. And this seeking is not to be a, a one-time event. It's to be a continuous action in our lives. Our lives are to be marked by daily seeking the things above. The idea here is to be oriented toward heaven. As a compass is always oriented north, the Christian should always be oriented toward heaven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This morning, ask yourself if this is true of you. Is this what you seek? Is this in line with what your priorities are? You see, as believers, our lives are to be marked by seeking the things above. 
And that phrase, the, the things above, refers to heaven. But we're not simply supposed to be seeking a place, but a person. Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Living with a heavenly mindset includes a, a daily focus <coughs> excuse me, on the Lord Jesus Christ. A daily focus on Christ. And believer, there is much to seek in Christ. Seek Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Seek Christ who is the bread of life, who is the fountain of living water, who is the good shepherd of your souls. There is much to seek in Christ. And there are also lots of questions about heaven. What will heaven look like? What will we do when we're there? Some have portrayed heaven as a place where we'll sit on a cloud and play a harp. Or maybe, like me, you've purchased a Father's Day card where you're playing golf on the clouds. The reality is that there are lots of questions about heaven. But the reason that we long for heaven is not because of the pearly gates. And it's not because of the streets of gold. The reason that we long for heaven, the reason that we seek the things above is because that is where Christ is. We are to seek the things above because that is where our Savior is. We pursue what we love. And a Christian, by definition, is someone who loves Jesus, who seeks after Jesus. We seek Christ because we love him. Samuel Rutherford once wrote this. He said, every day we may see some new thing in Christ, for his love has neither brim nor bottom. We can seek Christ every day just thinking about his love, the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ. So believer, look to Christ as the hymn writer put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the focus of our mandate is to seek the things that are above. And it's important that we don't miss that phrase at the end of verse 1. Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You see, heaven is not only the place where our Savior is, but it is also the place where our Savior rules. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. It's a, a place of authority, of honor, and of majesty and power. The right hand of God is the place of his sovereign authority. 
In Psalm 110, verse 1, we read, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Ephesians 1 says that Christ is at the right hand of God the Father and all things have been placed under his feet and he has been made head over all things. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is encouraging us to, to seek Christ. And the point here is that seeking Christ, living with a heavenly mindset, includes living in submission to Christ. Living in submission in every aspect of our life to what Christ says, to what God put in the pages of Scripture. And then in verse 2, Paul elaborates on this mandate. He says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. The mandate for living with the heavenly mindset is not only that we are to seek the things above, but we are to set our minds on the things above. That word set, it means to consider. It means to think about carefully. And again, it's, it's a habitual action. This is something that we are to do daily. And, and setting our minds on the things above is what differentiates us from those who do not know Christ. In Romans chapter 5, it says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And again, here we see the importance of the mind in the Christian life. Because the fact is that we set our mind on so many things. And if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, if we want to battle sins in our lives, then we must guard what fills our minds. There was an article in a San Francisco newspaper that reported about a young man who once found a $5 bill while walking on the street. And he resolved from that day forward that he would never lift his eyes while walking. The paper went on to say that over the years, he accumulated, amongst other things, 29,000 buttons, 54,000 pins, and 12 cents. But he also lost something. You see, he lost the glory of sunlight. He lost the radiance of the stars. He lost the, the freshness of blue skies. And he lost the smiles of his friends. I'm afraid that sometimes we are like that man. While we may not walk continuously staring at the sidewalk, at least I hope not, 
we're so often engrossed with the things of this life that we give little attention to the things of spiritual and eternal value. You see, the fact is, you set your mind on all sorts of things. On finding a spouse, on raising your family, on paying your bills, on, on building your career, all sorts of things. But the question is, what are you setting your mind on primarily? On earthly things? Success, pleasure, comfort? or heavenly realities. We see an illustration of this in the life of Peter. In Matthew 16, Jesus is foretelling to the disciples his death and his resurrection. And Peter resolved that the Jews would not kill Jesus. He said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter. And in verse 23 of Matthew 16, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. You see, Peter was setting his mind on earthly things, not on heavenly things. And each of us has something that we are setting our minds on. And if we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, then we must set our minds on Christ. One author said it this way, we cannot have a godly life and a worldly mind at the same time. We cannot have a godly life and a worldly mind at the same time time. You see, we are to focus on Christ if we are to live faithfully on earth. We are to focus on Christ as we live faithfully on earth. And so verses 1 and 2 give us our mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. And then in verses 3 and 4, Paul shifts. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives us the motivation. The motivation for living with a heavenly mindset. And he's going to give us three motivations. But the first is to remember your past debt. The first motivation for living with a heavenly mindset is to remember the truth of our past death. In verse 3, Paul says, for you have died. Now in verse 1, we saw that we were spiritually dead and we were raised with Christ in salvation. In verse 3, Paul says, we have died. And so the question is, what have we died to? You see, apart from Christ, we were dead in sin. But now in Christ, through the gospel... We are dead to sin. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 11, he says, So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So if you have been born again, you have died to sin. And so you can and should live as though you were dead to sin. You see, we can have victory over our sin by remembering the truth of our past death. We're dead to sin and we are alive to God. And so we have no reason to focus on the things of the world. Instead, we are to set our minds on Christ, to remember that reality that we have died to sin. And as a result of remembering that, we can strive to live heavenly. And not only does Paul remind us of the truth of our past death, second, he reminds us of the truth of our present position. The truth of our present position. Look again at verse 3. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. By saying our life is hidden with Christ in God, Paul is pointing out this mysterious aspect of our salvation. That our identity in Christ is real, but it hasn't yet been revealed to those around us. We've been saved, we've been, we've been given new life, but we haven't been transported to heaven. We haven't been given new glorified bodies. We don't look physically any different than the world around us. That's why in verse 4, he says that our life, which is now hidden, will one day be revealed. There's an already but not yet aspect to the Christian life. Students of World War II often note that although the war, the war did not officially end until May 8, 1945, in some sense the, the war was over on June 6, 1944. On that day, Operation Overlord commenced and thousands of ships carried hundreds of thousands of soldiers across the English Channel to France where they bravely stormed the coast of Normandy. Once the military advancement had progressed, it was clear that Germany would not recover. Looking back on this historical event, historians note that Operation Overlord basically finalized the war. It was only a matter of time, not an if, but a when the war would be over. And you see, just like the war was over in an already but not yet fashion, as believers, our true identity in Christ has not yet been fully revealed. How is this a, a motivation for heavenly living? It's this. Although we don't look any different from the world around us, we are to live 
differently. Although who we are has not yet been revealed, it will one day be revealed. See, we are to live in light of the truth that one day who we are will be revealed. And the fact that our life is is hidden in Christ is also a reference to the security of our salvation. To say that we're hidden in Christ carries the idea of protection. To say that our life is, is hidden in Christ is to say that our salvation is safe. It is secure in God. Nothing can happen to it. Fort Knox is said to be the most heavily guarded place on earth. It was designed to be impenetrable. So if you decided that maybe you wanted to try to steal something from the vault at Fort Knox, it would be a difficult task. A steel fence surrounds the building itself. And if you got past that fence, the building is concrete-lined granite reinforced by steel. And if you were able to get through the external security and get past all of the guards, you would make it to the vault. And at the vault, you would have two options. You could either try to blast through the door, which is said to have weighed 20 tons. It's made of steel and concrete. Or you'd need to crack the combination to the safe, which no one person knows the whole combination. And even if you were able to get through all of that, you'd be met outside by thousands of U.S. soldiers who work on the base. Fort Knox is incredibly secure. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us that our salvation is secure. But not because of some advanced security system that guards it. Our salvation is secure. Why? Because it is hidden with Christ in God. That's a marvelous truth to think about. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1. Starting in verse 3, Peter says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And listen to this. It is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Our salvation is secure because God himself is guarding it. Our salvation is secure. And Paul says this is a motivation for living with a heavenly mindset as we are worshiping Christ and setting our minds on Christ. We fix our eyes on the one who has secured our salvation. And finally, Paul reminds us of the truth of our future glorification. The truth of our future glorification in verse 4. 
Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And notice he does not say if he appears, but when. The angel told the apostles in Acts chapter 1, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, we will appear with him in glory. And this is an incredible truth. This is an important truth for us to understand because it motivates us to live with a heavenly mindset. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Christ will one day return, and when he does, we will be glorified. We will be like him. And that motivates us to live with a heavenly mindset. And John says that in verse 3. 1 John 3, 3, he says, And everyone who thus hopes, everyone hopes, who hopes in that future glorification, purifies himself as he is pure. In chapter 2 and verse 28 of 1 John, Paul says, excuse me, John says, Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him at his coming. Live in such a way that Christ will return any moment. He says, live with a heavenly mindset because at one moment, Christ could return and we will be glorified. And don't miss that very brief statement in verse 4. Colossians 3, 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Paul states that Christ is our life. Ask yourself, what is your life? What are you living for? What is fundamental to your life? Because if we are honest with ourselves, life can be seemingly more focused on things other than Christ. Education is our life. Sports are our life. Careers and success are our life. But here in Colossians 3, we see that Christ is our life. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You see, our life is Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself up for me. Believer, Christ is our life. Our life is not about acquisitions or accomplishments. Christ is our life. He is to be the focus of our aspiration. We are to fix our eyes on him. We are to live with a heavenly mindset. When we realize the commands to seek and set our minds on the things above, and when we realize and recognize the motivating truth of our past death, our, our present position, and our future glorification, we are motivated to live in a manner that's consistent with our new status and our new identity as new creations in Christ. See, we've been given a new status and a new identity. And when we realize that, when we realize who we are in Christ, what he's done and what he will do, and when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll live with a heavenly mindset. And by God's grace, we will strive to live holy. As the Spirit of God works in our lives as we submit to him and as we fix our eyes on Jesus we'll live with a heavenly mindset we'll live a life that glorifies God we'll live a life that matches our identity in Christ let's pray Father God we are grateful for your work in our lives for the salvation that we have in Christ, for a new identity in him. Lord, we do pray by your grace, through the work of your spirit in our lives, that we would live holy, that we would be people who live with a heavenly mindset, that we would be called Christians, those who speak and act in such a way those who follow Jesus in such a way that the world notices. Lord, help us by your grace to do this. Amen.